0: All right, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. We're glad to be with you guys again. During the Corona apocalypse, things are changing fast and there's a lot going on. I have with me in the studio, Leslie Bennett, my co-host, also our engineer, Carly Stillman. And then on the line with us via Zoom is a great friend of ours, Dr. Greg Allison from the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And Greg, welcome to Church for the Rest of Us. Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks for having me on. Well, it means a lot that you share this time with us. Leslie, you and I have had some opportunity to read Greg's book. We've had an opportunity to talk about it with our team here at Family Church. Mm-hmm. And I'd just be curious. You're a student at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, Distance Learning. Tell me what your thoughts are as you got to meet him, hear him speak, and read his book.
1: Well, it was a lot of fun to meet him, and I do look forward to taking a class from him. And the book was fantastic and really helped us think through multi-site in a different way and helped us look really look at the things... I forget the words you use exactly in your book, Dr. Allison, but the things that are foundational, the things that are core, the things that are like sort of optional, and then things are like, do not do these things. So that was really an exercise that was beneficial to our team and that we were able to implement into a template that we put together when we talk about how we launch different campuses. So thank you.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. I remember I learned uh, multi-site from the best, the man who's seated to your right. That's right. (laughs) He was doing this long before I even came on board. Probably uh, severely overstating right there, but glad to be in the conversation
0: anyway. (laughs) Hey, Greg, why don't you talk to us a little bit about that, about your journey into multi-site because you're a theologian. You have a certain bent and a specialty in the area of ecclesiology. How did you get into the multi-site conversation?
2: Great. Yeah, I moved to Louisville, Kentucky and joined the faculty at uh, Southern Seminary in 2003 And I befriended Daniel Montgomery, who was then the lead pastor of Sojourn Community Church. In 2007, he contacted me and said, I'd like you to facilitate a course for Sojourn leaders, a course on multi site churches. And I said, Daniel, I don't know much about multi site churches. I don't even know if I believe in them. So I'm not sure if I should say yes. And he said, I really want you to facilitate this class. And that was my foray into multi-site churches. It was doing some research, reading the book, The Multi-Site Church Revolution, interviewing people like you, Jimmy, in terms of leaders of this movement. And uh, 2007, we did this class. We wrote up a report, put it into the archives at Sojourn Community Church. And then two years later, Daniel recontacted me and he said, I'd like you to come to Sojourn. I'd like you to be part of the midwives team that helps launch Sojourn East. And so I got in on the ground level back in 2009 at our first campus. It's now an interdependent church of the collective. So uh, that's pretty much how I got involved in it beginning in 2009. Now,
0: did you change your mind? Because it seemed to me you were kind of on a journey when we were having our conversations and you, at first, it kind of seemed to me that you were tolerant, but not really positive. And then somehow along the line, it seemed like, well, you became an elder at a multi-site church. So I'm just curious about that
2: journey. Yeah, I've gone from not knowing anything about it to being somewhat tolerant to saying this actually works, then to exploring some of the biblical foundations. I think the early church was multi-site with the uh, church members gathering both in the temple in a large group and also in congregations in disciples' homes. That was also the church. And so as I looked at more of the biblical and theological foundations, I became more convinced and I also see what we would call what the blessing of God in expanding this movement and being able to reach tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people with the good news, disciple them, incorporate them into these local churches for the flourishing of the good news. Well, Greg, as you've kind of walked that pathway, you
0: actually ended up writing this book that we've talked a little bit about. Tell our listeners about your book.
2: So I co-authored the book called Multi Church co-authored that with my good friend Brad House, uh, Multi-Church Exploring the Future of Multi-Sites. So as we did some research into multi-site churches, we found out that there are about 5 million worshipers in multi-site churches, about 8,000 or more multi-site churches just in the United States. About 9% of Protestant churchgoers are involved in multi-site churches. That's a pretty significant movement. And so we wondered, now that multi-site churches have developed pretty much an establishment in the, at least North American scene, what might be the future of these multi-site churches? We interviewed pastors in campuses or various sites and said, you know, what are your greatest joys? And also, what are some of your greatest frustrations in doing video venue or being campus pastors, occasionally preaching in your sites and all? And we discovered that probably 70 to 80% of these leaders were chomping at the bit to preach more and lead more. And so we proposed this new model called multi-church, more independent congregations or churches still connected very closely. So there's an interdependence part of this as well, but giving more responsibility in terms of preaching and leading to the leaders at these individual congregations that also gives them the opportunity to contextualize their congregations, their churches in very different demographic areas. I think that's a fascinating concept. And I know that you guys are actually
0: pioneering that and actually trying to do that at Sojourn. So I'd be interested if you'd be willing to share just kind of how that's going and what you see as you've in my view, you kind of came up with a model theoretically, and then you guys just dove into it and started trying to do it. Like, you know, most of the time these models emerge and then you study what succeeded. You guys came up with the model kind of theologically first, it seemed to me, and then you're going for it. So I've been really kind of watching all of this and with tremendous admiration. And I'm curious as to if you'd share how you feel like it's going.
2: I think we're in a very good spot at Sojourn Community Church. We have five congregations in what we call our collective. We're about to add a sixth congregation. The idea is we want to do life and ministry together as interdependent churches. And so each church has its own budget, has its own leadership team, has its own vision, has its own worship and things like that. We don't do video at all. So each one is independent, and yet they're connected in this interdependent way. We do share a good number of resources. We also preach through the same sermon texts. We do uh, some other cooperative ventures like missions. And I think we've got a good balance of contextualizing each congregation in its demographic area with its peculiarities and particularities, and yet... Also doing life and ministry together is five, soon to be six congregations.
0: And Leslie, as we listen to this, so some of the things that Dr. Austin's talking about are things that we grapple with constantly Mm -hmm. at Family Church. So we do a lot of the same kinds of things in terms of contextualization, live preaching and teaching, live local leadership, but we have a much stronger corporate governance structure. So we don't share, I mean, we all share one budget instead Mm -hmm. of each having their own. And so really i think when you take the money out of the leadership it kind of robs the leader of feeling like they have as much authority and leadership responsibility i mean you're in these conversations all the time i'd be curious as to your response to that
1: i mean it does sound very similar i would say to what we have going or had going which we'll talk about in a minute <laughs> right, right. um a network of neighborhood churches as we were wanting to put a neighborhood church with a neighborhood pastor in a neighborhood building who speaks the neighborhood language and always wrestling the same way with with those issues of standardization versus customization. Like you've talked about, Dr. Allison, the main difference probably would be the money. I'm not sure about property ownership, how you're doing that at Sojourn, but that would be an issue here as well in terms of we do own the properties that our churches are housed in unless they're in a rented facility. So other than that, we do have one leadership structure, one set of bylaws. So we are probably more unified much
0: more than what he's
1: than what they're you know but similar in terms of the vision i believe of wanting to have more contextualization and allowing leaders to preach and lead like you said dr allison we do very limited video at our campuses as well
0: so dr allison i'm curious about how you guys do how do you do property ownership who owns the properties Who hires or fires staff members, including kind of lead teaching pastors?
2: How does that all work in your structure? Yeah, great question. I think what you're pointing out here, there's a lot of varieties in this. And I don't think there's any one right or wrong structure. No, no, no. And we're all working through this, aren't we? Uh, So we have, in addition to our five, nearly six congregations, we also have a 501c3 corporation called Sojourn Collective. And we hold all the properties. We hold all the money, but we have no authority over the local congregations. It's like a holding company. Then we'll have all the monies. We distribute them according to the budget uh, to the various congregations. We hire all of the staff, all the pastors. We pay their salaries or on lease to the various congregations. So that's the way we structured that for various reasons. And so each congregation gives 17% of whatever comes in to the collective, and that's for resourcing the individual congregations. It's for legal counsel, it's communication, it's the properties and facilities, HR, payroll, things that the local congregations really don't want to have to handle. We handle for them. There's great appreciation on their part for that. So we do all of the nasty, dirty work kind of stuff that has to get done. So that's our structure at this point.
0: Now, a lot of people have written about how they feel like the multi-site movement has now almost
2: passed and we're going to go to something else. What do you think about that? I would like to see it go to multi-church, which is more independent congregations who still do cooperative ventures together and share common vision and reaching target area, collaborate in terms of resourcing those uh, pastors and leadership teams, doing missions and things like that. So I would hope that this is the future of multi-site, and we just call it multi-church. Right. And I know one of my friends, I think you're friends with
0: Brandon Shields as well, and what yeah. they do with the uh, Soma Community Church in Indianapolis, and they have a very similar approach to what you're describing. And I know they're involved in the Sojourn Network also. So Dr. Allison, let's talk corona Apocalypse. <laughs> yes. I mean, what in the world is going on with, how does this, because I think this may land on multi-site churches differently than a single-site church.
2: I think that multi-site churches find themselves in an advantageous position in terms of videoing their Sunday morning worship services. If they're already used to doing video or live streaming, then I think that those are the choices that most churches are adapting today in terms of how do we continue the worship of the Lord with our congregations. And so I think there's an advantage that multi site, multi churches have simply because of the video venue. Having said that, I think all churches are wrestling with how do we do community groups? How do we keep our kids engaged? What about youth group meetings? How do we do men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies? What are our financials going to be? How about benevolence? How do we distribute and help the poor and people in our midst who have lost their jobs? So there are a lot of common problems, but I think there is an advantage to multi-site, multi-church if they have experience with video or live streaming. Now, so right now
0: with your churches, are you guys, all six of them or five of them, are live streaming their own things?
2: We all do videos. So Thursday, Friday, we do the video. right? And then we broadcast it on our YouTube channel. Yep. So each campus has its own
0: worship service with music and preaching or whatever.
2: Yes, and we've cut it down to about 50 minutes. So basically three songs, prayer, brief sermon, another worship, a song, and then a benediction. So trying to keep it 50 minutes at the most. We're
0: doing the exact same approach, except in our setting, we only have one campus that's really equipped for video because we don't broadcast all 13 campuses every week. And so what's odd now is we actually have hung our hat, as you know, on live teaching and preaching. That's part of our whole DNA and part of what our vision for churches. But we've gone from a face-to-face network of neighborhood churches to a situation where now our our relationships are all housed at the campus, but our content is now housed at the network. And it's a really odd thing that creates all kinds of tensions that we actually, our whole strategy and
2: philosophy has been to avoid this very situation. But here we are. And you have had experience in it, which again, I think is very helpful And I think we all want to say this is a temporary situation. We're longing for the day when we can gather again. And for you guys, the 13 different congregations, Right. They do want to. We're doing that. We don't want anyone to get comfortable with the video and staying at home and all like that. So I think those are some concerns. But I think for the temporary situation we find ourselves in because of this coronavirus apocalypse, I think this is a good solution. Oh, I think it's one of the only, it's either this or, you know, go full on Devorite and just stop. Yeah, that's interesting. So those who would be highly critical of multi-site churches, particularly those with video venues, I would expect that they're doing something like videoing the worship service, which is interesting. Our posture is this. We want to lament before God and pour out our heart that, you know, this is difficult not being able to gather in community. But we don't want to complain about this before our church members, before the world. And we want to be very charitable toward other churches that decide on a different way of doing worship and community group during this time. We want to be charitable and not complain against them. I think that's so wise, too. And I I think that would even be great when it's not a pandemic. That's right. (laughs) Oh a really good approach.
0: And so, and one of the things I love about you, Dr. Allison, is you are so careful when you think through these issues and you spent years thinking through them, researching them, writing about them. And so you have very clear and strong opinions and thinking about all of these issues, but I've always found you to be extremely charitable and encouraging, even if someone's doing it differently from the way that you have preferred or decided to do it. And so I think that's true of your entire church. That's kind of the vibe that comes out of Sojourn, and certainly that comes from you. One of the things that we've struggled with, Leslie, is we've struggled with our congregational polity. So we have pretty strong pastoral leadership. We have multiple pastors, and we have a strong opportunity to lead and responsibility to lead in our church. But there are some particular things that our church has to vote on constitutionally before we can act. Mm -hmm. For instance, the church has to vote if we're going to borrow money. The church has to vote if we're going to buy or sell or lease properties. The church has to vote if we're going to get in a contract longer than five years. The church has to vote to approve a senior pastor. They have to vote to approve our bylaws, vote to approve our budget. And so we've had a challenge because in the middle of the Corona apocalypse, we're having to make some pretty big decisions and we can't get our church together.
1: That's right. So we did have to cross that bridge. I don't know if you've had to cross that, Dr. Allison. With congregational governance, we had to call some meetings, and we did pass some emergency bylaws that would allow us to take advantage of the some of the assistance that the government's offering right now. So I'd be curious to know if that's something that you've had to deal with.
2: Yes. So we also received a loan from the Small Business Association Because the monies of Sojourn Community Church are held by the collective, it was just the collective leaders. I'm the chairman of the board of that. Literally last night, we voted on that and approved application for and obtaining a a small business loan. So we're the ones that are responsible. So we carried out a responsibility. When we're going to have to go to congregations, to our specific five or six churches, for example, approval of the upcoming budget. I'm going to guess that what we'll do is either video a presentation of the budget and its matters, or we'll do a live stream presentation and then we will ask our congregational members to vote online. But we've been doing online voting for I can't even remember when we haven't been doing it. Okay. So we already have the structures in place. They know that they come to a congregational meeting, or in this case they watch it on video or live streaming, and then we will send out a link for them to vote. So mm-hmm. they're used to being online voters. Well, maybe we can, right. uh, Leslie, yeah. offline, we want to find
0: out how to do that. Yeah, We've never done online voting. In fact, really, we've always tried to gather in person for our business meetings. But I think that because we're having more and more congregations now that are growing, we're starting and that are creating partnerships with us, I think it's going to require more video presentations that people can log into from their homes and then trying to do a way of doing online voting. That's a really, that's actually
2: something I'd haven't even considered. So it just shows you how bright I am. (laughs) Again, the the ideal would be meet together as a congregation, the members, right? right? In lieu of that, we live stream or we can do video, but then we give people two weeks, you know, to look over the materials, consider what we've said, and then they are used to online voting, I can certainly link you up with the person in charge of that. Do you get
1: a good response on that?
2: I believe so. Yes. And we're a congregational affirming church. That means when you vote, we expect you to vote yes. And if you vote no, you have to explain why you vote no, because we want to have a conversation with you. That's not a threat. It's just like, we really want to hear you, but as an elder-led, congregational, affirming church, we expect that you'll follow the leadership of the elders and approve, affirm what we have put before them. Yeah, I like
0: that. We have a similar kind of a, a model in that regard. But I have one more question, Dr. Allison. So there's all kinds of ecclesiological issues, and I appreciate your desire to be charitable, but some of the things that churches are wrestling with, and we all come down, you know, as you said, you know, different places, but things like what can or should be done, via video and what should not, and just full disclosure, so we've done baptisms in this time and we've done the Lord's Supper in this time, but I know that some people feel differently about that. I'm just curious as to what Sojourn is doing on the ordinances during the
2: pandemic. We've chosen not to do baptisms and not to do the Lord's Supper. We see those as whole church, you know, gathered church ordinances that we should do together. I certainly, I think there are lots of churches that are doing what you're doing, and I very much understand that. The biblical pattern is when people believe in Christ, repent of their sins, embrace the gospel, they should be baptized. And so I'm not sure what structure you're using to do that, but that makes a lot of sense following the biblical pattern that you would baptize pretty soon, right? And I certainly understand the Lord's Supper is something that, at least at Sojourn, we do on a weekly basis, and it should be done. We've opted not to do those, but again, we're being charitable with churches like yours that have opted to do something else. Yeah, and likewise for us. So I definitely see,
0: I can easily see it both ways. And I could, if we wanted to have a debate, I could easily be glad to debate both sides because I think there are pros and cons either way that you go. And it is a little bit unprecedented that we would even have the ability to do this kind of thing because. Not so long ago, it would have just been impossible to do anything that would even be a reasonable approximation of gathered, you know, baptisms or Lord's Supper via some computer. So it does present some different kind of intriguing conversations that we all have to have. I'm just glad, Dr. Allison, that we have theologians like you at our flagship seminary because we're a Southern Baptist church at Family Church. We're networked with the Southern Baptists, and one of the crown jewels, in my opinion, of our entire network is Southern Seminary. And I'm so proud to be a two-time graduate and to be a professor, to have been tenured as a professor at Southern Seminary. And I just can't tell you how much the friendship and relationship between our church and the faculty of our school matters to us. And I love the friendly relationship that we have between family church and Sojourn as well. Anything you want to say, because we have people listening, I know you're going to have people emailing you and asking you questions about this all the time. Anything you would like to say to our listeners, if there's anything they're considering in terms of multi-site or the coronavirus crisis, anything you'd like to say to our listeners kind of by
2: way of closing it up? I would urge all of our listeners to remain in community, even if that's virtual, right? We continue to meet with our community group once a week. It's via Zoom. Mm-hmm. And we discuss the sermon, which we've all watched you know, via video. We pray for one another. We share concerns. We regularly reach out to a missionary couple that have just left our community group and praying for them, Skyping with them, having community with them. So I would encourage that. I would encourage our audience to care for people around them for those who are poor, marginalized, who are suffering, who are ill, in whatever creative ways they can. I think that there are people, hopefully not, but I think there are probably people that are falling through the cracks. We want to make sure that that doesn't happen. We want to care for them and pastor them well. And it's not just on the shoulders of the leadership to do this, but all of us as church members can be doing that.
1: That's so good. Excellent. Thank you.
0: Yeah, Dr. Austin, thank you for joining us on the Church for Us of Us podcast. I'd encourage everybody to grab a copy of that book. If you have any interest in multi-site at all, I do want to affirm and direct you to Sojourn Community Church in Louisville. They have a lot of great stuff happening on their website, and they have resources, and it's just a great model for our listeners who want to go and look at another way of doing church. It might be instructive for you to do that. And again, we're always honored that anyone would listen to these kinds of broadcasts. We're doing it for you because we want you to take the resources that you have and we want you to take the Bible that you have and the people that you have in the neighborhood where you're located and do the best you can for Jesus as you shepherd and grow your church and that expression of the kingdom of God that you're a part of in your local church body. So thank you so much for listening. This is Jimmy Scroggins, Leslie Bennett, Carly Silman, and Dr. Greg Allison signing off. This has been Church for the Rest of Us. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins, or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing, because we want to learn from you, too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.